It would be my joy if you would join me in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. As we read the story of the rich young ruler. As we learn from the story of the rich young ruler and hopefully unlike the rich young ruler we will let go of all that we might cling to today other than Jesus Christ. Other than the greatest treasure, the one we just sang about, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Lord, you are our inheritance now and always. So we read this from Luke chapter 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have. And distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray this morning as we hear your word that, Lord, you would take away all distractions in this room that we might be able to hear about the glory of Jesus, how Jesus is better. Lord, how more than distractions in this room, though, Lord, that you would take away distractions in our hearts, distractions in our hearts of things that we love, things that we run to, things that we cling to that are not Jesus, that are poor substitutes for Jesus Christ. Lord, would you do this by the power of your spirit that we truly, in our hearts today, would say, Jesus is better. Jesus is my treasure. Jesus is more than enough for me. And we pray this in the name that is above every other name, the name Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, how did you walk in here this morning. How did you walk into the church gathering this morning? Some of y'all are saying, I walked in cold. That's how I felt this morning. I walked in here cold. Some might say, well, it was easy. I was cold, but I, 
I parked my car, I walked up the steps and, and came straight down here in the other room. That was easy for some of you all. For others, you might have said, well, I tried to dodge the traffic chasing my kid, tried to dodge the kid, follow my kids up the ramp, gladly dropped them off at the nursery, and then came in and sat down. But what I mean is, what were you holding on to when you came in this morning? Some are like, well, I held my Bible. I was holding my Yeti, my, my iPhone, all the essentials I had on this morning. Others might say, well, I had a bag over my shoulder. I had a three-year-old under my arm, a one-year-old under the other arm. I barely made it in here. But that's not what I'm asking either. What, really what I'm asking is not about your hands, but what was your heart clinging to when you came in this morning? For some of you, the, the hands of your heart were empty when you came in this morning. You, you have nothing to hold on to. Maybe you feel helpless. You feel hopeless. You have nothing that gives you hope today. For some of you, maybe you're clinging to yourself. You're full of yourself. You're hoping in yourself. You think that you, in some way, are enough for yourself. For others, you're clinging to something else, someone else, a sin, an idol that you think will be enough to save and satisfy you. But, but what we really need this morning, more than anything, for some, you are clinging to Jesus. You're holding fast to Jesus. You, you know that Christ is enough. He is the greatest treasure in the universe, and your heart has found rest in Him. And that's my prayer this morning. That whoever you are, whether you're six or, or 60, wherever you came from, this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks, that you would leave here today not like the rich young ruler. That this morning, you would get from this place, you would get to a place that he never got to. That you wouldn't walk away sad, clinging to your stuff, but that you'd walk away holding fast to Jesus. Lord, fill everybody. Let's pray in our hearts together. Lord, fill everybody today. Fill us with more and more Jesus. For those who came in here empty, give us the fullness of Jesus. For those who are clinging to themselves, who are deceived, who are deluded, who've been tricked to hold to an idol, help us cling to Jesus. Lord, satisfy us with your Son, with the fullness of Jesus, that we would treasure him. See, there's some things that Jesus tried to teach the rich young ruler that he just did not learn, or he just was not listening, or he had something better that he would not let go of, that he thought was better. The first thing is, Jesus tries to teach him that you are not good enough to save yourself. You are not good enough to save yourself. In our story, a rich young ruler comes and asks Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Who knows if he thinks 
Jesus is really good, or maybe he's just trying to earn some brownie points. But what we do here is his emphasis, where his heart was. His emphasis is on what must I do? What must I do? What must I do to be saved? What what can I do for myself to get to heaven? What, What do I have to do to earn eternal life? Listen, this is the wrong question. It's the wrong question that so many people in our world are, listen, are, are asking. What do I have to do to earn eternal life? It's a question that's pursued by every other religion other than Christianity. Every other religion tries to give you something to do to get to heaven. Rather than seeing it's only what Jesus has done for me. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus says this in verse 19. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Listen, Jesus is not denying his own goodness here. And he's not denying his own godness. No, Jesus is wanting the ruler to pause for a second and to think about the absolute uniqueness of God. The holy otherness of God. His holiness. His goodness. God alone is good. That's what he's wanting to see, that God alone is good. And that Romans 3 is clear when it says, no one is righteous. No, not one. Not even this rich, young ruler. So how does Jesus expose him? How does Jesus expose the the not-enoughness of this rich young rulers? What's the tool that he uses? Well, he exposes his lack of goodness by going to the Ten Commandments. You see it? Particularly the last six commandments. He goes to all the horizontal commandments, all the commandments that have to do with loving your neighbor. He says to the rich young ruler, you know the commandments. You know the commandments. You've heard the commandments. And it's almost like you can see the rich young ruler sitting there like he's holding a a $2 billion Powerball ticket watching the numbers drop. It's like he's, do not commit adultery. Check. Done that one. Do not murder. Check. Do not steal. Check. Do not bear false witness. Check. Honor your fathers and mother. He's checking all the boxes. The, the, the rich young ruler feels pretty confident in himself. He feels sure about his own goodness, his own enoughness. And so boasting in his self-righteousness, he says, all of these I've done since I was little. All of these I've done since I was a little boy. I'm good. I, like a, I have a, a relative that likes to use the phrase, them's good people. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Them's good people. Oh, the Smith family, the Johnsons, them's good people. Them's good people. Another guy that I talk to regularly about Jesus loves to profess about himself that, man, I'm a godly man. I'm a godly, a good 
God-fearing man. I've always been one. One other theologian, country music star Luke Bryan, says, I believe most people are good. I don't think the world's half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. Brothers and sisters, there's no such thing as good people. There's only desperate sinners who are desperate for Jesus. We're all desperate sinners who in and of ourselves cannot be good enough. We are in desperate need of Jesus. We live in a world that puts their trust, puts the weight of their life on their goodness and their own enoughness. Yet Jesus looks at the deceived rich young ruler and he says, one thing you still lack. Do you notice that there's one horizontal commandment of the ten that Jesus left out? One commandment that exposes and diagnoses what he really lacks, and it's this. You shall not covet. You shall not covet. You, you shall not have a heart that longs for more than what God has given you. You shouldn't have a heart that's restless and that what wants what other, other people have. You shall not have a discontent heart that longs for more because you don't think God is enough. You shall not have an unsatisfied soul that wants to gain this world even if you forfeit your soul. Jesus exposes his covetous heart, his heart that loves and clings to his money and his possessions. And Jesus is telling him clearly, you're not enough. You're not enough. You lack goodness. You lack complete righteousness. Breaking news this morning. Hopefully it's not breaking news. But you are not good enough. In and of yourself, with your best good works, your best effort, with the best that you can come up with to present to God, you are not good enough. There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. No, Romans 3 says you are a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God. And so what you need is not to bring to God your goodness. You need to receive from God his grace. Just like the rich young ruler, Jesus knows right now where you are. He knows where you lack, where you fall short. In Revelation, Jesus says that I am him who searches heart and mind, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So for the rich man, he saw his covetous, his greedy Heart, but, but maybe with you, it's your pride. Maybe it's, it's your anger. Maybe it's your lust, your selfishness, your bitterness. Maybe it's your jealousy. Maybe it's your hate. Maybe it's your unforgiveness. Listen, the first step 
to leaving here full of Jesus is to confess the emptiness of your goodness. That's the first The first step to living here full of Jesus is to confess the emptiness of your goodness. For you to confess, I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. My goodness must come from you. My righteousness must come from Jesus. The next thing that Jesus, though, tries to teach him is not only are you not good enough to save yourself, but number two, your idols are not God enough to save you or to satisfy you. Your idols are not God enough to save you or to satisfy you. His greatest problem is not that he broke the last commandment, you shall not covet. No, his greatest problem is that he broke the first commandment first. The greatest problem is that he broke the commandment that you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus says it this way, the greatest commandment is you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, and with all your mind. This is so important. So important. Listen to what Martin Luther says about the first commandment. He says this, where the heart is set towards God... And this commandment is observed, all the other commandments will follow. I'll say that again. Where the heart is set towards God, and this commandment is observed, all the other commandments will follow. All the other commandments will follow. You know what that means? That means the opposite is always also true. Every time you break a commandment, Every time you sin, it's because you already broke the first commandment first. It's because you already broke the first commandment first. You've already loved something else more than you love God. You've made an idol out of something more than you love God. The Bible word for this is idolatry. It's when someone or something takes the place of God in your life. R.C. Sproul defined idolatry this way. We break the first commandment anytime we seek our ultimate satisfaction in a source other than God. Or Martin Luther, this is how he defined idolatry. He says, whatever you set your heart on, and put your trust in is truly your God. Whatever you set your heart on and put your trust in is truly your God. If we had to write a definition of idolatry from this story, it would be whatever you're not willing to let go of. What is it in your life that you're not willing to let go of? For this rich young ruler, it was his riches. It was his stuff. It was his material possessions. Money had become a substitute savior, a substitute savior that could never save or satisfy. This is what idolatry is. It's when we have a substitute savior that you think can bear the weight of all your trust, 
Bear the weight of all your hope. Bear all your love and be enough for you, and yet it lets you down. It's whatever you think can be more God than God is, better than Jesus is, more worthy, more lovely, and you cling to it. You won't let go of it. So let me ask you this morning, what is your idol? What is your substitute savior? What's the one thing today that you think can really save and satisfy you? Maybe it's not your money. Maybe for you, it's your job. Maybe it's your job and you think that success will save you. Or, or maybe it's a relationship. There's someone that you found and you think this person will be, the sat will be able to satisfy you like nothing else ever has. Or maybe it's pills. Or maybe it's porn. Maybe it's popularity. Maybe it's your performance, your achievements. But what is it? What is it that you will not let go of? What is it that you will not let go of? Well, Jesus exposes this rich young ruler's idolatry by saying in verse 22, one thing you still lack. Now, now if you're anything like me, does anybody else read this and be like, man, Jesus is like really bad at math. One, one thing you lack? This is what Jesus says. Listen, one thing you still lack, sell all you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. One thing I lack? Wait, that, that's not one thing. That's three things. So why does Jesus say one thing you still lack? It's because the one thing he lacks is Jesus. He, he lacks treasuring Jesus. He lacks seeing Jesus is the name that is above every other name. He, he lacks seeing Jesus is worthy. He lacks clinging to Jesus. But because when a heart treasures Jesus, it's willing to let go of everything else but Jesus. Like when a heart clings to Jesus and sees Jesus is the greatest treasure, it's willing to let go of your reputation. It's willing to let go of your success. It's willing to let go of your money. It's willing to let go of those pictures on the internet because Jesus is enough. I love how John Piper so vividly illustrates this one thing for us. He says this, it's as though the man stood there with his hands full of money. And Jesus said, you lack one thing. Reach out and take my hand. To do this, the man must open his fingers and let the money fall. The one thing he needs is not what falls out of his hands. It's what he takes into his hands. It's him treasuring Jesus. So let me ask you again, how did you, how did you come in here this morning? What are you sitting there in your heart holding on to this morning? What will your heart not let go of this morning? Is it Jesus? Or is it some, something else? Someone, something else that you think can save or satisfy you? 
There's a passage about idolatry. It's in Isaiah 44. You can read it later in your spare time. But it describes a man who, who cuts down a tree. So this man goes out. He finds a, a cypress tree, it says. And he takes this cypress tree and he cuts it down. And listen to what this man does. It says with half of the tree, with half of the tree, he warms himself by a fire. He builds a fire so he can stay warm. But then the other half of the tree, it says that he carves an idol and bows down to that idol. How ridiculous does that sound? You're going to warm yourself by a fire for half of the tree, and then you are going to make yourself a god that you're going to bow down to. Listen to what Isaiah says. This is how it describes, this is how the Lord in Isaiah describes the heart of us who are idolaters. It says this, a deluded heart, a tricked heart has led them astray and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? You hear that? He, his heart is so deceived that he can't see that the thing he's clinging to is a lie. He cannot see that this idol he's clinging to is a lie, and he must let it go for the sake of his soul. This morning, your idolatrous heart is clinging to something. And if it's something other than Jesus, your heart is believing that this is better than Jesus. That this sin, this reputation, this relationship, this money, this success, whatever it is, it, it is better than Jesus. But brothers and sisters, the truth that will echo for the rest of your life, both now and for all eternity, that always stands true is that Jesus is always better. Jesus is better. As Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who will give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's God's grace this morning, if you can come to the place where you can say, not only am I not good enough to save myself, and my idol is not good enough to save me. And you run to cling to Jesus. The final thing Jesus wants us to see is that Jesus is more than enough to save and satisfy you. Jesus is more than enough to save or satisfy you. Did you know that this is the only time, the only time in the Gospels, the only person in the Gospels that leaves Jesus sad. He leaves sad because he's unwilling to let go of his money. He, he's unwilling. His heart is unable to see that Jesus is truly better, better than whatever he's holding on to. And listen to how Jesus describes the rich young man's sad situation that he cannot see. Listen to verse 24. He says, how difficult, how difficult 
it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says that money is one of the hardest things in this world to let go of. That money has this kind of cling to itness to it, to cling to people, to hold tightly to people. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to go to heaven. Now listen, many people try to downplay this. Many people try to belittle this, make light of this. And this is what they say. Some scholars, you can read commentaries that says this, that says this. Jesus is referring to this little gate in a city. There's a little gate in the city. And for a camel to enter into that city, man, it's going to be really hard. You're going to have to kneel down and get low to get through the gate. It's going to be really hard. Listen, it's not impossible. It's just going to be really hard to get through there with a camel. But listen, that's not what Jesus is saying at all this morning. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is saying it would literally be easier for a camel, the largest animal they would have known in that side of the world, the largest animal they would know to enter through a tip of a needle than for a rich man to let go of his money and run after Jesus. That's impossible, right? That's what you're thinking. That's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But Jesus is saying, not as impossible as a man who tries to save himself. Not as impossible as a man trying to save himself. Those listening are shocked, and the disciples, the, the crowds, they say, well, then who, who can save themselves? If, if it's easier for a camel to go through a needle, then salvation is impossible. No one's going to heaven. Many people, no one is going to heaven. Many people will be lost forever. And Jesus says, you're exactly right. It is impossible. Listen, brothers and sisters, there is nothing that you can do. You can't save yourself. You need to quit trying to save yourself, trying to get to heaven on your own, thinking that your good enoughness can be impressive to a holy God. But, Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Hallelujah. What is impossible with man? What I can't do for myself, Jesus can do for me. See, here's the problem with the rich young ruler. He thinks becoming a Christian is something that you can do. He thinks it's something you can do, not something that God has to do for you. That's why we're desperate for the gospel. That's why we're so desperate for the gospel, because if you could get to heaven yourself, then Jesus would have never came. 
If you could save yourself, Jesus would not have come. If you could have been good enough, Jesus came for no purpose. But Jesus came, and he didn't live just a good enough life. He lived a perfectly righteous life. And he went to a sinner's cross to die in your place for all of us who were not good enough. And then three days later, he rose again so that we might be forgiven of our sins and not just clothed in good enough, but clothed in his perfect righteousness forever. We cannot do that for us. Jesus had to do that for us. This is the problem with the church today. The problem is not that we've made salvation impossible. It's that we've tried to make salvation something that's possible. The problem is not that we've made salvation too hard. It's that we've tried to make it too easy. Just all you have to do is repeat these words after me. Repeat these prayer after me. Oh, you don't feel comfortable doing that? Well, squeeze my hand and then we'll just agree that, that you mean that. And then you'll be saved. Or all you have to do is walk this aisle. Or all you have to do is go to church. Or all you have to do is be a good person. Or be nice. Or be better than the person beside you. Or better than your brother or sister. Listen, every salvation story is a miracle. Every salvation story is a miracle. For a dead man to come alive for a blind heart to see the glory of Jesus, or for a rich man to let go of his riches and to cling to a treasure in Jesus, it's a miracle. It's always a miracle. If you're a Christian today, you have experienced the miraculous. Because your dead heart did not love Jesus, but God, who was rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, Ephesians 2 says, made us alive in Christ. So if you've ever said the words, you know what, it's going to take a miracle to save him. It's going to take divine intervention to save her. You are exactly right. It's always a miracle. It always takes a miracle. But praise be to God that what is impossible with you is possible with God. He's possible with God. You know, I like on Sundays, I like to go to Panera in the morning and get a cup of coffee just so I can wake up. And there's a guy I see in Panera quite a bit, sits in the same booth every single week. And sometimes on Sunday, this is what my friend says. He says, hey, Lance, are you going to save a few today? And this is what I love to say. No, I'm, I'm not. But I sure hope that God does today. We should beg God every single week and plead with God and pray to do the impossible among us. That, that he would take dead sinners and make them alive. That he would take any of us who are clinging to our idols, clinging to our sin, and turn our hearts to Jesus. God, please save sinners at Christ's fellowship. Please save sinners on Western's campus 
through campus outreach and crew and BCM and Young Life. Lord, please save my sister who doesn't love Jesus. Save my mom who says Jesus is a lie. Lord, save sinners. None of us are going to get to heaven and say, God, we did it. All of us will sing forever. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I love that hymn. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Lifted up was He to die. It is finished was His cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. For all eternity, we will cry out with people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus is the only one who can save you this morning. Jesus is the only one that can save you from your sins and give you life forever in him. But he's not the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can satisfy you. Listen, Peter speaks up at the end and he says, uh, Jesus, um, don't know if you remember it, Jesus, but we left our homes to follow you. We've left everything to follow you. Jesus, we let go of our money, our possessions, our jobs, our reputations. We left everything to follow you. Jesus, was it worth it? And Jesus promises every one of his disciples listening. And he promises every follower that's listening to me this morning. This is what he promises you. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Whatever you let go of to follow Jesus is nothing compared to the many times more that you receive in Jesus. Whatever you've let go of to follow Jesus is nothing compared to the unsearchable. Paul says in Ephesians, the unsearchable, the bottomless, the never-ending, the Niagara, Niagara Falls amount of riches that come in Christ both now and forevermore. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That He does not only save us from our sin, save us from ourselves, but He did this so He could satisfy us with Himself, both now and forevermore. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how you came into here this morning, what you were holding on to. If your heart was empty, if your heart was holding on to your sin, if your heart was holding on to an idol, but you don't have to leave this way. Jesus is more than enough for you. 
Jesus is better and will always be better, both now and forevermore. The invitation, repent, turn from your sin, and run to Jesus. Because you might not be enough, but Jesus will always be enough for you. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, oh Lord, that you would help us by the power of your Spirit. That, Lord, you would do the impossible here today. You would do the impossible so that sinners would give up on hoping in themselves. And that sinners would let go of all the idols, the things they cling to. That, Lord, we would let go of the things that deceive us. That today, maybe for the first time, we would say this thing that we are clinging to is a lie. And that, Lord, we would see that Jesus is more than enough to save us from our sins because he died on a cross and rose again. But, Lord, that he's also more than enough to satisfy us, to satisfy us now and for all eternity. So, Lord, would you work by the power of the Spirit for every single one of us in here today, Lord, that we would let go of anything that's not Jesus and that our hearts would cry out, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Jesus is more than enough for me. I'm going to ask for the next few minutes that you just keep your head bowed and you ask the Lord to reveal, the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what you're really clinging to. What you're really holding on to, to, to be your Savior, to be the thing that will deliver you, the thing that you think can hold your trust, the thing that you cling to more than anything else. And I'm going to invite you this morning to do the same thing in your seats right there where you're at that Jesus invited the rich young ruler to do. To let go of the thing that is your God, the thing that you worship, the thing that you put all your hope, your trust in. That you would let go of it so that you can cling to Jesus as the only Savior the only Lord, the only one worthy. Lord, would you do your impossible saving work in these moments? And Lord, would you not only save us, but would you satisfy us with yourself? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.